following along the path of Saul's life, so we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 13 tonight, 1 Samuel 13, and this is probably the most, this chapter is probably the most well-known episode out of Saul's life, and it's where we get the great words, obedience is better than sacrifice, and uh, that much quoted verse, and so we'll probably take two weeks to work through this episode, but but uh, let's start in uh, chapter 13, and we'll start in verse 1 in just a minute. But how would you like it if you were made king, and then two years in, you find you've been rejected? You're going to be replaced. Now, he actually ended up, according to the Apostle Paul in Acts, book of Acts, he says he served 40 years as king, but, but uh, much of that time was with God's dissatisfaction on him. Talk about term limits. He was term limited after two years uh, here. This is, the, this is the time frame here. didn't take long for the kingdom of Saul to decline. It was very early in his uh, reign when things began to decline. We talked last week about the great victory over the Amorites, uh, Ammonites, I'm sorry, and, and uh, this was not a forerunner of how things would be with Saul. He, was, he really did well in that one time, but uh, showed some kindness to people that were against him. But it was an exception to his character, not the rule to his character. So he proved to be a very poor king, as we will see, both in the secular realm, but especially in the spiritual. And of course, the spiritual affects the secular. He had poor character, and he was a poor ruler. This runs together. If you're going to have poor character, you'll be poor at anything you do, really, because character equals excellence. Now, again, I just make mention of this. I know I mentioned it before, but the two Saul's, in the Bible are quite a contrast. The Saul of the Old Testament started good, and he went bad. The Saul of the New Testament, who became the Apostle Paul, started bad, and then he went good. You know, we're all offered opportunities in our life. What we do with them determines which direction we're going to go. We go up, we go down. Most of you know that one of my heroes is John Maxwell. Uh, he is one of the authors I read, aside from the Bible, probably he's the mo- author I read most, all his leadership books and enjoy his, uh, the information he puts out. I got to meet him one time, and uh, we, it was the night we met Ben Carson when he was running for president, and I, got a, I was kind of, I wouldn't have mentioned that there, but I'll just say here, I was much more excited to meet John Maxwell than I was to meet Ben Carson. So he was the one I kind of was drawn to. I got to talk to him for just a couple minutes. But one of the things he said, we were waiting on uh, Mr. Carson to come out, go through some security, and so we had a few minutes there, and it was a big, what was a round table of preachers, and John Maxwell was there. And so uh, the moderator, the one who's in charge, said, hey, you got a couple of minutes, just give us some wisdom. And, and this, he immediately jumped in. You don't have to, he, he would be full of, full of wisdom anyway, but uh, the thing that he gave, I've never forgotten, uh, and it was, it's very simple, but it's also, it goes right along with Saul. So he said, most people have goals in their life that point this way. We all agree with that, don't we? I mean, we don't want to move down in our life, we want to move up. But he says, also those same people, most of us have habits that go this way. And whenever you have habits that point this way, you're not going to reach your goals that point this way. Because character is intertwined with our success. And I, I've never forgotten that. I thought it was such a good illustration that uh, th- this was Saul, I'm sure. He didn't start out, hey, I want to be the worst king that 
they can't say they've ever had. He was the first, but they'll ever have, you know. Yet he was one of the worst king, a bad king. wasn't one of the worst, but he was, he was a bad king. And uh, so the, one of the reasons is he might have had goals that went this way, but he had habits that went this way and full of pride in that. So let's start reading, though, verse uh, 1 of chapter 13. Saul reigned one year. When he reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent, or you could say he sent them home. They, they lived in tents at that time. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines. Let me go back to the beginning of verse 3. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the, Philist garrison of the Philistines. You see that? And verse 4, And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines. Why do you think that is? We'll get to that. And Israel also was, had an abomination with the Philistines, and the people called together after Saul in Gilgal, to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and the people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in mishmash east, eastward from Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, and the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. Some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. It came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? Saul said, Because I saw the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed, that the Philistines gather themselves together at Michmash. And we're going to talk about uh, his excuses here and what he did. And uh, we'll probably get into that next week. But let's uh, go from here as we look at, at Saul's decline uh, as he starts his, his decline in this chapter. Thank you, Father, for the reading of your word. We pray you'd use it now in Jesus' name. Amen. A moral fall is very seldom abrupt. We hear about it abruptly. We'll hear somebody, uh, we've all probably heard of preachers or some religious leader, Ravi Zacharias. Remember him? Uh, the, the terrible things we learned after he died. Uh, we heard about it abruptly. It didn't happen abruptly. Moral failure seldom happens abruptly. People decline in character, and they backslide gradually, typically. Life, uh, it's like descending a stairway. You go one step at a time as you go in your moral decline. And tonight, I want to look at some of the steps that started Saul on this decline. Let's look at the victory here that we see in the first part of the chapter. The Philistines, we know, were a constant thorn in the flesh for the Israelites, all the way back to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, they had problems with the Philistines. And uh, there are some companies here, uh, in verse 2 talks about Saul had 3,000 men, Jonathan had 2,000, and the rest were sent home. So there were three distinct groups here, and, uh, and these men that were with Jonathan, it's interesting that Jonathan, as Saul's son, will prove to be a very good soldier, and he also proves to be a very good man. Uh, unlike 
the children of a lot of celebrities today. Uh, Jonathan was not a spoiled kid. He did not try to get out of military service. Uh, he has everything we see about Jonathan was a young man of high character. More, we'll see more about him later, of course. And then the rest of the people were sent home. Much of this was the army of 300,000 that he had went to war against the Ammonites in that we talked about last week. This was not a good move on Saul's part, sending the army home or, or weakening his defenses uh, when the enemy is sitting on your doorstep. And now, of course, we're not here to be political, but I could make a political statement that nations will learn the hard way that decreasing the military just aids the enemy. It doesn't help any nation. I really believe that a patriot a president or a leader of a nation who is a patriot will always strengthen the defenses of, defenses of a nation. Uh, one of the things I respected about Ronald Reagan is he had that belief that we negotiate from strength. Uh, so the, the, uh, the, but then look at the victory. It was Jonathan, not Saul, who smote the Philistines. This is the first time Jonathan's mentioned. We usually will see the rest of the, their combined life that Jonathan always has more character than Saul did, more good character. He showed zeal here. He was more aggressive than Saul was in attacking the Philistines. He also shows stewardship. He had less people to fight with than did Saul, and he still went to battle. Uh, he did more with his 1,000 than Saul did with his 2,000. It is not what you have so much as what you do with what you have. And we need to remember that. Uh, failure is often blamed on a lack of advantage when it should be blamed on a lack of stewardship. We're all blessed with things, resources of some type, abilities. We all have some. We not have as much as some others, but we have some. What are we going to do with what we have? Do you remember in the New Testament the, the parable that Jesus gave about the talents? One man got five, one man got two, one man got one. And uh, it's interesting that I always, when I preach on that passage before, I've, I've had, uh, when, the, when he talks to the steward that doubled his five, and when he talks to the steward that doubled his two, the verse is word for word exactly the same. You can read that verse, and I can read the other verse, and it's exactly the same. The reward was the same. One guy got way more, but it didn't matter. They were both faithful in what they were given. It's a good principle for us to remember. Uh, Jonathan also showed courage by bravely attacking the Philistines with less protection than Saul had. Now, look at verse 3 and 4 that we just, in reading, we pointed out here. It's a little odd here, but it contains a lesson. This really was much ado about nothing. It was only a garrison that was taken, not the whole army, like the defeat of the Ammonites was. Uh, it was but one of the signs of a man's character in decline is a whole lot of exaggeration and boasting about the slightest of his achievements. Uh, so, <laughs> we have, again, I don't mean to get political, we have a president that does this right now. You know, shouts from the housetops, gas price went down one penny. Let everyone know, we dropped the price of gas a penny, or two pennies. That's uh, a slight accomplishment, but a person declining will always... Uh, make a big deal of the slightest accomplishment. Saul acted like a tremendous victory had taken place. Now, it was a victory, by the way. S Jonathan is to be commended, not trying to put that down at all, but it wasn't the kind of victory that uh, deserved national press. And, uh, but it says Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land. It was Saul that blew the trumpet to let people know about the battle. It, it was true it was Saul's army, but there is something a little shady here when you look at the two verses together like we did when we were reading here, 
And it betrays Saul's regression, I think, of his character and his uh, lack of honesty, really. The Bible says Jonathan smote the Philistines, but Saul blew the trumpet. Saul liked to do the blowing instead of the working. <laughs> and uh, he liked taking the credit. All Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison, though Jonathan is the one that did it. Jonathan was the one that risked his life. He would do so again, by the way. While Saul did nothing, and, and uh, Jonathan's the one that did the work, and Saul did nothing but take the credit. And my, oh my, we could park on this point right here for quite a while because so many people today still like the blowing and not the working. Uh, crowing about the slightest achievements or promotion of self rather than actually doing the work. If I got stuck in the snow, which I wouldn't because I don't drive a Honda Ridgeline, I drive a Jeep, uh, it would not help, amen, I, it would not help to sit and uh, in the snow and blow my horn. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'd have to actually do something to try to get out of it. And yet people look at the work of God that way sometimes, just uh, blowing instead of working. So blowing the trumpet, taking credit, unwilling to get into the trenches, unwilling to get involved. Now, later this example is seen with uh, David and Goliath and what Saul's reaction after that. Remember what happened? David became a national hero. I mean, he was on all the talk shows. Uh, he, was, they, they made, they made, he made the news everywhere. Everybody was talking about David. And the women started singing uh, about how David, uh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And they started uh, giving him all this credit. Now, what did Saul do? He got very angry about it, got very jealous got mad. He, he wanted the praise. Well, I would just say to Saul, if you wanted the praise, why don't you put on your armor instead of putting it on a boy and go out there and fight the giant like you should have. He was a head taller than everybody else in Israel. Would have made the most sense for him to go fight Goliath, but he didn't. He let a boy go do it. So if you let somebody else go do your work for you, then you don't expect the praise. But Saul wanted the praise. He wanted the blowing. He didn't want the working. Uh, humility is the freedom from the need to prove yourself superior all the time. And uh, obviously, egotism is the opposite. It's an insatiable desire to constantly distinguish yourself and prove yourself. All right, let's look at what's going on here. The people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. Now, this is a meeting that was earlier uh, set by the prophet Samuel uh, to give Saul and the people further instruction. Samuel was still the religious leader of Egypt, and it involved giving divine instruction, and also it was up to him to do the sacrifices. Uh, so the trouble with the Philistines here shows, uh, showed the necessity all the more of going to God for direction, making sacrifices to the Lord, and getting his favor on what they were going to do next. Um, because surprisingly, not surprisingly I should say, the Philistines weren't too happy about what happened here at this garrison. Verse 4, Israel also was had in abomination with the Philistines. They abhorred the Israelites. And again, not surprising because the world is not in the habit of honoring God's people. Never have been, never will be. Uh, to them, we are more of an abomination even today than anything else. Don't be surprised if you serve God faithfully. You get criticized instead of complimented. If you get uh, discredited instead of distinguished, it's going to happen. It's part of serving God. The nation does not express appreciation for godly people. It's just not going to happen. So they gathered their forces to attack Israel. When the work of God thrives, the enemy's reaction is always to increase their attack upon it. 
It happens in families, in churches, in, uh, in anything that's going forward for God, the enemy will attack. When you defeat the enemy of your soul, whether it be in a temptation or some kind of uh, conflict, you defeat Satan in your life, he does not roll over and go away. He comes back with a vengeance, and you have to deal with these things over and over. So after a great victory, the best thing we can do is just to be on guard. Be sober, be vigilant, because our adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I always like to use the illustration of Jericho and Ai. Remember that story? They took Jericho, tremendous victory, an impenetrable city. They got this great victory, and then they were going after Ai, and Ai was just a... AI was just vulgar. You know, it was just nothing. No, let's just send a few people over there. They don't need, we don't need to t send the whole army. We'll just send a few people. And they got, they got uh, spanked when they went after AI. But because sometimes after a victory, we think that we are invincible. And we don't think we need the Lord. By the way, when they took Jericho, Joshua was out the night before praying and begging God. And then he actually uh, met the captain of the host, uh, seeking God to help him with Jericho. They didn't pray about AI. They didn't need God. They had, it, had this in hand. Happens with us too. We, uh, we need to be uh, on guard. The gathering army panicked. The, the gathering of the enemy panicked God's people, I should say. Many Israelite soldiers went AWOL, crossing over Jordan. Many other soldiers hid themselves in caves and rocks. The soldiers of, uh, with, that were with Saul dwindled down to 600 people. This doesn't say much about the loyalty of God's people here, but the Israelites are like people in any age. <laughs> when Saul was winning in the eyes of men, everybody wanted to be around him. But as soon as things get tough, they couldn't get far away quick enough. And that's, that's people being people. There's another lesson there in the AWOL soldiers. When our eyes get focused on our circumstances, uh, rather than on God, we'll forsake our duty. They ju we just do that all the time. If we start looking at what's going on in earthly and, and just our circumstances will get discouraged and quit. Let's look at the violation here of Saul. And this is really what the, the force of the chapter is about. And we're going to start on this tonight. won't really get into uh, the, the whole discourse between Samuel and him. Uh, but the most prominent evidence of the decline in Saul's life was his spiritual life. It, this is the case for anyone, any Christian. The decline is spiritually. This is seen in his disobedience to Samuel here at Gilgal. Samuel was Israel's spiritual leader, and Saul should have respected that. But our spiritual condition is the real thermometer of our character. We're going, character is going to follow our spiritual condition. Saul was obviously failing in other areas of his life, but it's his failure spiritually that was the worst. We can fail in a lot of areas. We should not, we're not going to fail spiritually without suffering great loss. I fail in lots of areas. Well, I fail spiritually too. We all, I think we all can say that. But there's different things I fail in that don't matter so much. I fail miserably every time I go golfing. Miserable failure there. And other things that don't matter so much. You know what I'm saying? But spiritually, we need to make sure we don't fail there. Look at verse, uh, well, actually don't turn there. But in chapter 10, verse 8, Samuel specifically told him to go to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings. I will do the offerings, and I will sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee, and show thee what thou shalt do. Told him to go to Gilgal, wait for me for seven days. 
Saul, as he, told, as he was told, began to wait. Look at verse number 8. He tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel didn't come quick enough for him. So he went ahead and ordered the sacrifices anyway. It was a disobedience that would cost Saul his kingdom dynasty. Not only his kingdom, but his families as well. Uh, the violation of Samuel's order, uh, there were several different violations you could look at here. One obviously was a lack of, obedience, uh, a lack of, of patience. Well, the whole thing is a lack of obedience, but you see a lack of patience here. He had to wait seven days for Samuel to come, but he couldn't wait out the seventh day. Now, he accused Samuel of coming, uh, not coming within the day appointed. We'll see it a little bit later here. But Sam, Samuel did come on the seventh day. He came, look at what it says here. Um, oh, let me see. Verse 10. So it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. So he started it on the seventh day. It's still the seventh day. And Samuel shows up. Now, we don't have times, but let's just, for the purpose of our imaginations, the day is waning, it's about four in the afternoon, Saul says, I don't see him coming, let's do the sacrifices. Well, they start doing them, they get them over with, a couple hours later, here comes Samuel. He didn't even wait out the final day. Had he waited another couple of hours, he would have not ruined things like he did. Uh, but Saul lost faith in Samuel's word, like many people today lose faith in God's word, and it always leads to impatience. We don't wait on God the way that we should. Unbelief is always in an unsatisfactory hurry. Unbelief is always in a hurry. And it, it, it wants to pluck the fruit before it is ripe. And in so doing, uh, really what that action does is claims that we are wiser than God in our times and our seasons. Uh, Mar Mary and Martha both told Jesus that if you'd have come, he wouldn't have died. You're late, Jesus. Well, he wasn't late. We see that in that story, and we know that always is the truth. Few things prove our faith like the ability to wait on God. Can you wait on God? That's a hard ask for many of us, especially when the circumstances pressure us to act in the flesh. It's really hard to wait on God when our circumstances are pressuring us. Well, that's what happened, was happening to Saul here. Uh, immorality is an illustration of a lack of patience. Young people that can't wait until marriage to get physical relationships going. That's an illustration of lack of patience. Lottery is an illustration of a lack of patience. Not willing to wait and work for something, wanting something for free quicker. And we could list a whole bunch of things. But uh, whenever, whenever we have impatience in our life, it leads to things that are not pleasing to God. Another problem for Saul was his desire for popularity. We've already seen him take credit for Jonathan's battle. Here in this disobedient sacrificing, he, his desire for popularity is pretty obvious. Look at verse number 11. The reason he said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. Saul could not stand to lose his crowd. He had to have the support of people around him. Sooner or later, God will test his servants in this desire for popularity. Uh, whether or not we will stand, uh, be faithful to his commands, whether or not the crowd is with us or leaving us. Do you compromise your convictions so you'll not lose your friends? Do you disobey God's commands so you can have applause from the world? 
A lot of preachers do this, I believe, in churches, compromising to try to gain crowds, just trying to get people in, however, whatever it takes. Some, some preachers will do anything to, just to get people inside the doors, uh, which is nothing wrong. Getting people in, I want to do the same, but we don't need to compromise our convictions for it. Uh, but the desire for popularity has ruined many people and institutions besides King Saul. It's still doing that today. There's a reason Joel Osteen doesn't preach against sin. You can listen to a lot of his, I don't even like to call it preaching, you can listen to a lot of his motivational speeches on Sunday morning and you don't hear preaching against sin. Uh, it's because of a desire for popularity. It's not popular to preach against sin. And so uh, we need to stand for what's right. Saul, verse 9, back, back up to verse 9, this is what Saul had told them to do, bring hither a burnt offering to me, peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. He stepped outside the boundary of his jurisdiction. This was not his job. It was Samuel's job. This was disobedience in clear and direct opposition to what Samuel told him to do. Now, some believe that Saul was acting the priest to do the sacrificing. I don't think so. The Bible never rebukes him for that, so I don't think he did that. I think he just simply ordered the priest to do it. He took on authority that was not his to take on. Now, Saul did what many governments have done in every age. He assumed authority over religion. And this is a very perilous business. Saul had no business directing the affairs of religion in the nation. Still today, we have a separation of church and state that says exactly that. The government cannot tell us how to worship God or what we can and cannot do. Now, they have twisted that into thinking that we cannot influence them. That's not what the purpose was. The purpose was they could not uh, dip in and uh, tell us how to do things. Amen? So uh, the orders belong to God and God's man, not to Saul. The principle is good for us to remember to stay in our lane. Whatever God has you to do, uh, bloom where you are planted. Don't try to take on somebody else's job or step outside of what God wants you to do. If God has planted you somewhere, do your duty in that place, as Saul should have done. should not have taken on Samuel's job. It's going to turn out very, very bad for him. So let's uh, determine to stay faithful where we are. I'm going to stop here because I want to begin with uh, Samuel's response next time. We see verse 9 here that part of Saul's problem was he put way too much weight on outward ritual instead of inward righteousness. And, of course, Samuel's going to address that. Saul felt to get God's help, he must make a sacrifice even if it goes against God's command. Ridiculous. Uh, I, I got to give you this before we close. I, I chuckled when I saw this. Verse 12. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. I'll just leave you. I'll leave that little teaser there for you. He forced himself to do wrong. Poor, poor guy uh, that he had to... Had to uh, endure that. All right, we'll pick that up next week and to get to Samuel's response and hopefully learn some more things. Thank you, Father.